Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I love to talk to different creative people about how they do their thing and how they keep it going through all the ups and downs. And today I have two guests for the price of one, Diara Kilpatrick and her husband and collaborator, Miles Orion Feldsot. Uh, they are two of the people behind the new ABC.com web series, American Coco. Um, they produced it together, and uh, Diara stars in it, and uh, Miles plays one of her uh, cohorts in the, the fictional organization Everyone's a Little Bit Racist, which is a um, like a private detective office or like a SUV kind of group of people that tackle sort of racial problems that come up in contemporary society, big and small. They're like a, a CSI team, but that's their beat, is um, racial issues. It's really funny. It's really edgy. Uh, it's really smart. It's poignant. It's, it's got all the colors in the Crayola box going on there, uh, literally and uh, emotionally, I guess. Um, but before we get to the interview, I uh, want to encourage you to go to DennisAnyone.net. When you're there, you can uh, click on different podcasts, and sometimes I talk about something that I take a picture of in the podcast, and you can see it there on the website, or you can donate to my virtual tip jar. Um, it helps me cover the expenses that come with doing the podcast. And um, you could also email me um, if you have ideas for people I should talk to or questions I should put in the observation deck, anything like that. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, that email address is dennis at dennishensley.com. Um, I would love it if you subscribed on iTunes or if you wanted to write a review on iTunes. That's really cool. Like the Dennis Anyone Facebook. And, oh, my last plug, um, if you're in Los Angeles, coming up in July on the 21st and 23rd, uh, the return of the Mismatch Game, the match game parody show that I host and, and produce for the Gay and Lesbian Center. It's coming up. It's a lot of fun. Oh, and I also wanted to mention that another way you can support the podcast is to become a Patreon supporter. You just go to patreon.com and type in Dennis Anyone, and my Patreon page comes up. For as little as $1 a month, you get a special exclusive episode that's just for Patreon listeners. And uh, the episode just went up. It, it, it's me and some friends talking about new observation deck questions. And I also have an interview with Armistead Maupin from uh, several years ago that is pretty interesting. I just listened to it again, and he tells this amazing anecdote about being on a Starbucks cup and having his, quote, banned. And anyway, he's just one of my heroes, and I love listening to him talk about anything. So uh, that's at Patreon.com, and uh, I appreciate it. All right. So that's all the business. Uh, let's get on to the interview again. Here is Diara Kilpatrick and Miles Orion Feldsot. Hey there, I'm coming to you from the West Hollywood apartment of my guest today, Diara Kilpatrick and Miles Orion Feldsot. They are the creators of a new web series on ABC.com called American Coco. They also both act in it. I know Diara because we were in the Writer's Access Project together. And, um yeah. Congrats on the, the web series. It's really terrific. Thank you. Right. And thanks for having me in your humble abode. <laughs> thanks for coming. So the web series, two seasons worth of uh, American Coco, went up on ABC.com, what, a week ago? Juneteenth. Juneteenth. June 19th. Which I didn't, I'd heard of it, but I didn't quite know what it was, and I had to do a little uh, researching. You yeah. Know, and what yeah. did you discover? I discovered that it's the the day that the the uh, the slavery was over. Uh, it, or, so yeah. am I? Oh. Is it's, that it's, right? Yeah. Is it, it's but not it's, the day that 
it's not the day that that it was. Yeah, it wasn't the day it was ordered. It was the day that it took yeah, effect. I guess. Yeah. Well, it's just funny because. You know, a lot of slaves didn't know that <laughs> that slavery was over. Right. There was no Twitter. There, there, there's no way to get the word <laughs> there out. Was no, and, and some masters weren't just like, all right, y'all, peace. You know, yeah. like, you can roll out now. So it's it's funny that people, milking, milking it took it. some time for people to discover that the, the Emancipation Proclamation had actually gone into effect. So right. That's, that's and funny. it was the day that it went into effect. No, I mean let's let's let let's let the viewers like or the listeners like Google the, the I think so the Texas history of, of Juneteenth Juneteenth. Um, so American Cocoa, you created that originally on your own as a web series, yeah, and then it, it got picked up um, by ABC.com and Viola Davis's production company, and, and and again done as a web series. But you got to sort of redo it. They they sort of bought the idea from that original web series that you did, yeah. And uh, where did the original idea come from, or, or the impetus to do that first web series? Yeah, it was a lot of things. You know, it was like I was very obsessed with Scandal and Law and Order, um, and I was, you know, Obama was in the White House. There right. was a lot of talk about post-racial America, um, and I just wanted to do something. You know, I was from the beginning. I was like, let's make something that we can shoot. So I really wanted was thinking about what locations I had and stuff like that before I even started writing. So I wanted to tell like a small story, a story that would lend itself to a lower production value. Of course. And so I thought it would be interesting to take those agencies or, or, you know, that we've seen before, um, like Scandor or whatever, and they have these really fancy offices in D.C. and sort of be able to do them in little shitty spaces. Right. (laughs) And shoot in my apartment and stuff like that. So a lot of that lent itself to the idea. And, um... Yeah. I don't know. You remember, like, it was so long ago. I'm like, what exactly? Everyone always asks me, where exactly did you get the idea? I mean, you, but, had, yeah. you had the idea of, like, I'm going to do this thing. And I was like, that sounds crazy. And then you handed me the script, and you were like, here's the script. And I read it, and I was like, this is hilarious. And you went, it's not a comedy. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what's really interesting about it is that the tone. It kind yeah. of, it goes from really funny, really satirical, yeah. to, like, really tragic yeah and, and it manages to do it all and not kind of and that was something we did in the original series and abc was kind of like the tone jumps all over the place yeah and we were like yeah yeah but it, it, you knew it it wasn't like oh we accidentally did this like it was yeah. a conscious decision were there talks about the, the tone with abc when you went to adapt it yeah, I think that it's a kind of a recurrent theme in a lot of my work that I'm that I got even in the Amazon show where they're like, well, this is totally not sort of meshing with this, and and I think people's instinct a lot of times to make the tone consistent from beginning to end that's like supposed to be a marker of great art, or right? Whatever. But I think that I've just come to accept that if there's some part of my personality that makes it really hard for me to do that, that like kind of a mark the marker of my work so far I think has been just straddling that line of genre and and kind of hitting the audience with just the emotion that they weren't expecting. expecting. I think it really works in American Coco. It's Thank like you. You, 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 you're aware of it. Like, oh, wow, this just got really intense. But but it doesn't, like, take you out of it or feel wrong or I think it works. So, there yeah, you go. And then even after we hit those moments, we try to get back to the, get back to the comedy um, without kind of just having you spiral out for too long because then we can keep you know, hitting the messages through the comedy. 
Yeah. I love the setup for it that you're this agency that uh, deals with racial problems, very small and very large. Yeah. And what's the name of the agency again? The Everyone's a Little Racist Agency. And, the, and you get to do your model shot like on SVU or whatever, the, where they're all standing there looking tough. Yeah. That must have been fun. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I've seen Olivia Benson do it, so I figured I wanted to get in on it. <laughs> you want to have that moment where you're like, I'm serious, I'm all business, yeah. I'm here with my team. Yeah. Our, suit, our clothes fit really well. <laughs> it's kind of glamorous, but it's also very serious what yeah. we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. You also got to uh, destroy a car, yeah. which I think would always be a really fun thing to do in a movie. Yeah. I actually have the video of her after she destroyed the car. Yeah. And she was like, that was so much fun. I was like, that's a very expensive habit to like. So. <laughs> yeah. Now, how did that How did that work? How did you find the car? How did you know what you could do and what you couldn't do and well we didn't have it in the budget at all oh god that was one of our producers so, car actually. yeah and oh. so one of our producers was like i have a car that my wife would love for you to beat the shit out i'd beat the shit out of and never and she can never have to see it again so we were like bet so he brought this old car that he had and we yeah i went to town on it you went to town on it but you only get like one take right or you only you have to cover it how did you just decide to cover it that was a day that we had a crane, so there was a crane, and then we had another person doing handheld shots. Right on. Um, so we were shooting two cameras at the same time, um, but then there was, you know, Pete, our director, and Antonio, they, you know, they were, we cycled through with her hitting the car with like a rubber crowbar, and then right. we did the real thing. So, oh, I got you. So you got different kinds of shots, different kinds of coverage, yeah. and it was fun. It felt good. It felt great. <sighs> I was, and then the, what happened to the car? They just went off to the dead car land? They donated it to somewhere, right? You don't, who knows? Who knows? I think, they, I think they donated it. We never saw it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what I love about it is that sometimes the, the problems are smaller in nature. Like one of the, the first season has to do with this children's musical. It's a Harriet Tubman musical. Yeah. But the only black kid eligible cannot sing, and the creator is like, what do I do? Yeah. And I have this Latina that can sing the shit out of this. Yeah. So how do I do that? And you guys are on the case. Yeah. That, that <laughs> in particular, was something I noticed because I was teaching at the time right. um, for this children's group, and I was noticing that these Latinas were, like, coming up and hitting it out of the park, and the black girls couldn't sing, and I was like, what has happened? <laughs> Is it the Mariah <laughs> effect on our young people? I don't know. <laughs> it, it was it, it was interesting to me, and, um, and <laughs> because I taught dance and acting, so then right. I would see how all the singing classes that come together at the end, and every time a black girl would come up, you know, kind of chubby, I'm like, oh, she's She's going to blow the roof off this place. This, yeah. yeah. She'd be like, ah, and I was like, what? <laughs> and so that's where, the, that's where that storyline came from, was my real life experience. And then I was like, way. you're sure this is not a comedy? <laughs> yeah. But the way it resolves is so, I'm not going to give it away, but the way it resolves is so clever and, and moving. And I also love that it looked like a... Sometimes when things are lower budget and they have the big crowd scene, you could tell it's like four people. Yeah. And you're like, oh, this one delivered. It felt like a real school and a big crowd and you guys were in the back. And, oh, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that was a, my mom and, like, yeah. and <laughs> some our, of our friends. And our editor slash producer, Annie Feltzot, really, really crushed the cutting of yeah. that scene. Yeah. 
what is the how much of a difference production wise do you feel when it's you just doing it scrappy on your own? Yeah. And then it's a digital digital arm of a big network, but it's still digital. It's like, you know, did it feel like a huge bump up in terms of what you're able to do? Or did it feel kind of like uh like how big of a deal difference did that make? It was a big difference. Yeah. I mean, we we were like the first time there were really it was Miles, me and Annie and, right. and Drew, our DP, and we did like all of the jobs, you know. Yeah, it was, I was like doing production design the night before and like trying yeah. to bootleg sets together and yeah, and you both had to act in it. You you were both yeah. acting in it. And we were and, both directed the first one as well. Yeah, yeah, we were we were acting, we were powdering each other between takes. <laughs> you know, it was right. it was a hot mess. You yeah. know, and it was stressful. And we were stopping to order lunch and stopping to go right. get the lunch. Like it was kind of a lot. So this time we had a lot more support in National Picture Show and Juvie, and you know we brought on. Um, wardrobe and makeup and hair you know yeah. all that kind of stuff makes a huge difference right um in the comfort and ease of making the show and then also just in people being able to watch it you know yeah. sometimes even if you have a good story and strong acting it doesn't matter if the production values aren't there because some people not all people but some people just can't digest it that way right. they're so used to their shiny netflix shows and right stuff. so it makes a difference people that we thought watched it the first time around we can tell now that they yeah. didn't watch it until we had a little more money um <laughs> behind the scenes there you go how yeah. did viola davis and her husband's company come to be involved well i has been such a huge fan of mine for so many years <laughs> yes <laughs> Okay, so Miles is obsessed with her. So we both are obsessed with her, but he really, really, really is. Um, we So Julius, her husband, and I did a play together many years ago when I first came to L.A. And so we've stayed in touch, and they've been very supportive of us just in, in general. You know, we went to New York to see Viola and Fences, which changed my life. It was, like, one of the greatest performances I've ever seen. If we not had the an greatest entire, performance had a, I've ever seen. We had seen. an entire meal with them afterwards, and Diara could not speak. No. She, like, I was like, so what's happening? And Diara was just like, mm. Yeah. I just need like, to process. She, she just, just shame. I mean, she was incredible. Yeah. It was an incredible It's It's magical to see her live because you feel what she feels, period. You right. know? So when she has that emotional breakdown and you're in the same room with her, you're having an emotional breakdown and everybody in the row is trying to keep their shit together so that they're not, you know, disrupting the performance right. with their sniffles. You know, it was, it was crazy powerful so we kind of kept in touch um and they were very generous you know would invite us over for things and stuff so when when we finished american coco and i sent it to everybody that i knew the first time around julius called us almost immediately we had less than 100 views and he called us almost immediately and he said like a few hours after we put it up like it was (laughs) i don't know it was very fast i was yeah it was How many episodes fast. was the first season? Six. Six. Right. So we went through the completion of the play, right. basically, is what we shot the first time with, I think we shot an hour and our, our budget was like 2500 bucks or something like that. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. And so he called right away and said, we want to be a part of this. We want to help you guys. We want to, you know, help you with the next season. And one thing that we've learned about Julius is he is a man of his word. It's awesome. You know, so we were kind of like, oh, okay. And then he really just kind of has been so supportive and was like we're going to abc and we were like really and he was he was he was absolutely right yeah we did a we did a table read actually over here uh of the second season Mm -hmm. 
And this was only when, you know, when they first came on board, they were like, you know, we're just going to give you guys money out of our own pocket to make the second season. That's how much we believe in it. That's amazing. And we were like, amazing. And then he came over here. We were sitting on the couch, and he was like, we're going to ABC. And we were kind of like, Julius, Julius, shh, don't tell all these people that. <laughs> right. Like, it's not right, because you had a house full yeah. of people doing the yeah. table read. And, and then everyone's being like, yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> you got to deal with it. And next then the other were like, it's on Twitter. Why is she saying this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then, sure enough, like that, that came to pass. Yeah, he spoke it into existence right away. That's cool. What's he like? What's his personality like? He's really gregarious. He's really passionate. Um, he's supportive. He's funny. He's direct. Is he? Does he? Is he an actor? And then he became yeah. a producer. Yeah, he's a dope ass actor. I yeah. mean, you know, do you think Viola Davis would be married to a hack? <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! Could you imagine yeah. the awkwardness there? Yeah. Oh. No, he's a he, fantastic actor. Yeah. Um, he played um, in the piano lesson. He played. I'm not going to remember the name of the character, the but he plays uh, the preacher. The preacher. Yeah. Right, right, right. And um, he has a sermon in the middle of that play that's like, "We'll take everybody to church." You know, he's he's great. That's cool. And Viola does your voiceover. Yeah. Which is so, it's such a SVU kind of a law and order voiceover. It's so, it's so great how you kind of nail that, that vibe. Yeah. Yeah. It was one of the coolest things. Like we went to her house to record it and I was just like, uh, Viola, can you try one like this? And then I was like super giddy. It was like right. so cool. <laughs> yeah. You can find other yeah. ways to, to have her do uh, it just Viola, so you can, yeah. can keep can doing just it, keep, keep doing working it. with her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can do it like five more times, please. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. And what does she think of the finished product now that she's seen it? Because she does a video on ABC.com where she talks about it and how passionate she is about it and stuff. Yeah, she loves it. And um, and she connects with it. And, you know, we went to dinner and she said that she loved it and we did a great job. And she was very happy with it. So, What I love about it is that it's it, it feels like when you were creating it that you... If you had an idea, you wouldn't you would you wouldn't sort of that'll never work, that'll never work. You kind of like really put a lot into it. It felt like you were very liberated in your con- in conceiving it. A hundred percent. We've we were just been talking about that and um, you know working because we also we worked on this together and then we work on stuff with other people. And right. I was just saying one of the things that I fucking love about this team was like there was never a crazy idea you know it's like you go oh can we try this no one said oh that's not gonna work you know and sometimes that's the that's the beauty of working with people who who can't say i've been in this business 30 years and i know that's not gonna work whatever it's nice because we were like yeah let's let's try that it might be crazy it might be genius it might be a little bit of both but we really weren't afraid to kind of make a mistake I've worked in things where that knee-jerk reaction is, oh, that'll never work. And, mm-hmm. and it's just so, like, spirit-killing. So when there's a little bit like, oh, that's interesting or whatever, and then this, this show feels like it has a lot of that, mm-hmm. that a lot of those ideas kind of made it onto the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, are the actors people that you knew mostly, or did you go through traditional casting? It's a little bit of both. So yeah. we brought as many people back as we could from season one. Right. Um, that Because, you know, we wanted to pay them and work with right. them again. They were all fantastic. I think there's so many stars in American Coco, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, McGee and Tim and Elaine and, and Cedric, you know, and Niambi. And I mean, everybody is really great. Camille, who plays Anita Benita. So we brought as many <laughs> people back. And then for season two, we did have some traditional, we mostly made offers, to be honest. Right. Yeah. People that you knew that would be good. But it is a lot. It's a lot of our friends. The music is all- Almost all of our friend, you know, the composer is yeah. a, like 
These well, are there's one vocalist we... that's pictured doing one th- one thing, sing a beautiful singer. That's that's Brit Manor, and I was like, great. oh, I bet that must be a friend of theirs, and, yeah, and it felt like it had that. And kind she of does the, she does the romantic theme in season one. Yeah. Uh, Burn Baby Burn for Niambi's right. character and then in season two her song In the Grey is kind of the motif for Diara and Quan's uh, relationship. Quan yeah. is so yummy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love Quan. He, uh, he is your love interest in the second season Yeah, and you have a, a different love, a breakup in the first season. So the, the show also deals with your character's love life yeah. in addition to this work life yeah. and how they're sometimes at odds. Yeah. What is it like like writing and conceiving romantic storylines and scenes with your husband? <laughs> That's funny. Um, well, we don't write them together, so that would be pro- maybe she a did, little weird. But she just we tells me talk. about them, and then I go, "Can you just? Don't you want to cut down this scene? <laughs> this seems a lot. Yeah. It's like four pages. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah." I go, I think we can accomplish this in two. <laughs> Funny. Well, we talk, you know, we we talk about story and, like, where I want to go with things. And I think really early on, I was like, I think it would be so interesting if Akosawa met her match. You know, like, someone right. who was, like, just as angry as she was. Right. And, um, and it wasn't until later that I came up on, like, a, a Asian guy was actually her match. Um, but we just, we... I don't know. I guess it would be weird I mean, for it, you. You tell me. Yeah. I mean, it's... I'm kind of used to it. Cause I mean, it's, it's part like, of it's, being it's, in the business. Yeah, it's part of being in the business. And um, and it, it makes sense in the story. Yeah. In the first time that we did it, uh, a friend of mine uh, who plays, like, the artist that she meets at the party... Oh, right. have to do, like a, like, a kissing scene. And he was just, like, so nervous and scared. And I was just being, like... I was directing it the first time. And I was right. being like, just kiss her! Just kiss her! <laughs> and he was being like, uh... But, um, you know, it's it's fine. I, I just want Milo to get his own little romantic I, rendezvous in, in exactly. season Exactly! But no. that's the thing. I'm like, no. Like, I, I you draw the line for me, and then I'm like, yeah. no, he's straight. Yeah. <laughs> he, doesn't need, he doesn't need a love interest right. in this. No. So Milo is the another member of the team, of the main foursome that are this, this team that, that deal with these racial problems. Yeah. You guys work in your cool headquarters. You found a place with one of those freight elevators. That was like my that, only requirement. I had to have that. That's what it has to be. Yeah. Like this downtown bunker lofty thing. Yeah. yeah so. We got to get some shots in season three in that in that. In that elevator, it's a super cool freight yeah. elevator. Well, there's one. There's yeah. only one shot. There was. We wanted to do more in that elevator, yeah. but we were so pressed for time. We yeah. were shooting so quickly that. Um, now ABC, it's still ABC, but yeah. they you're able to do profanity. Yeah. What are the rules, and how? Do, what did they talk to you about with that stuff? What are you know, I, I, we don't know yet. You know, did they ever say that you just broke a rule, or did you ever hear we anything? Can, we can say fuck, but we can't say motherfuck. That's right. That was a rule. Um, we couldn't say we could say we couldn't say goddamn. That was a big rule. We had to go th- back and scrub those from the script. You know, there were some battles that we had with ABC Legal. Right. You know, I have to give them a lot of credit. You know, they gave us a long, they gave us a lot of rope. <laughs> you know, they yeah. gave us a long leash. They were like, go for it. We um, did have some battles towards the end. I know they had some issues with like the. There's a joke about Quan. Um, uh, being of Japanese heritage and maybe having internment camp anger, which would like lend to his aggression during right. sex or whatever, and they thought that was like too far, I think, and we kind of fought for that one. Um, 
But they let us, like, honestly, when they were like, ABC, like, when we first were discussing that, we were like, ABC, like, what are they, are they going to let us make the show? Yeah. And they, to their credit, they let us make the show. Like, yes, they pushed back on a few things, but they totally, in the end, they let us make the show that we wanted to make. And that was, you know, that was amazing. Yeah. I'm super grateful because, and a lot of people have said, oh, I bet you it's not going to be good anymore because it's on ABC. And it's like, nope, we have all the profanity. We have all, we take all the risks. We. And it's not just the language. It's the stuff that you're talking about. Like, and I, I like that the show doesn't pretend to have all these answers, but it brings up all of this stuff and makes you sort of consider it. And it's very, you know, entertaining and funny along the way. Or they'll just throw out a line here and you're like, oh, that's interesting. And it's not, so it's not just that it was, uh, there were a few swear words in it. It was like edgy, provocative, timely material. When you did the first one, you, like you said, it was the Obama era and the yeah. quote unquote post, post racial or whatever. Yeah. And now that you did the second one, it's, it's out in, in a totally different era. Yeah. yeah. How, what's that like? Well, the Obama era was like it's post-racial America, and so now we're we're post-post-racial America. Right, right, right. We're aware. Well, we realized that post-racial America wasn't really a thing. Um, Yeah. But it was definitely a shift, and it was there was a lot of discussions about like after he won, it was like, well, what does this show mean now? Like because it was right before we started shooting, right? And we were like, what just happened? When did you actually shoot? We shot in December. Oh, gosh, that recent. Yeah, so yeah. in November we were like, holy shit, the election. And I was like, I got to change it. And then yeah. we had a lot of discussions because I think at one point we thought Donald Trump might end up being like a respectable president. And I right. think people were afraid for us to just come after him. Right. Um, and so we had a lot of conversations about it and, and just ended with kind of just mentioning that people were demoralized after the after the election is where we ended up starting from as opposed to um we had some we had some some shots we took some real shots right yeah 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 yeah. and then they right well i i didn't know that it had been shot in the trump era watching it like or like he had already won i wasn't really looking for that but i also thought gosh that's that means it was a really quick turnaround for you guys well, yeah. it all came together. Um, some of my favorite scenes are the angry black women support group scenes. Uh-huh. Um, you know, you have it at this beautiful house in Baldwin Hills and this great group and and everyone's sort of sharing their story. Where did that, that idea come from and what were they like to shoot those scenes? I loved shooting those scenes. Those are some yeah. of my favorite things. That Even, the- I felt like everyone in there loved it. Like, I felt like there was an art imitates life kind of yeah. camaraderie on screen yeah all the women in that group were um were offers simone um who plays the group leader i've known since we went to elementary school together in oh my goodness um zaynab is a comedian who i think is just hysterically funny which and one is she now simone she is the, the leader little, of the group she's yeah. tamika who diara constantly interrupts is yeah and she has she a has cool the yeah 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 yeah. you take the stick from her at one point yeah, yeah, yeah exactly yeah. cleo i did an episode of mike and molly with cleo and niambi and she was just great and supportive right. and loving and i was obsessed with her right away and then tammy mack also the same the same play that i did with julius she was also in we, we play the same part actually and um she's just a woman that i just have always admired because she was creating her own work right and she also was a dj for kjlh and so i just love how she's just like I'm not in a box. Like, I love multi-hyphenates that are like... So we we offered all of the roles to them. And Tammy actually said, like, on the day, she felt like crying because it was just so many 
black women in one scene and it was going to be on ABC. That's just something that's never happened. Yeah. I'm assuming it's never happened yeah. before, you know? Right. And uh, we just, we had a good old time. Did it you do it all fun. in one day, those scenes? Yes. Wow. Well, they were great scenes and, you know... <laughs> you would have outbursts in one scene and then you're like, I'm going to my meetings. Like you got to sort of make fun of that meeting culture and you can only talk when you're holding the stick and all of that stuff. But I think there, I picked up on a real undercurrent of we've been through a lot of the same shit in the business and outside of the business. Mm. And that comes through on the screen. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was cool to watch. Um, let me see what else I have on here. Um, oh, this is one of the things that I really liked and I thought was really original. Um, you talk about how trauma can be carried over in the body, even mm-hmm. through generations. And this is something for me in my life I've, I've done a bit of learning about in the last few years because of things that I've been dealing with. But this idea that stuff stays in your body. Mm-hmm. I, I read this great book called The Body Keeps the Score. Mm. And um, so talk to me about where the idea to, to explore that theme. And also you have scenes where your character and other characters uh, are seen in, during the days of slavery in black and white and it's sort of shot cut in there Mm -hmm. and talk about that idea and this idea of trauma that is carried over. Yeah, I guess personally in my life, sometimes I see like, um, cycles that, you know, I might be repeating from my mom or that my mom might be repeating from my grandmother or whatever. So it's personally something that I've always been interested in exploring. And then I just think when you can't talk about race in America without talking about slavery and you can't, and you know, Scientists are saying now that trauma is etched in, into your body, that that it um, that it be- can become a part of your DNA, that it can be passed down in like a, from your cellular memory. And I just think all that stuff is really, really interesting. I think it's really interesting, too. And I think it holds the key in a lot of ways. Once you understand that, you can stop just sort of unconsciously acting. Right. Just even the aware of it, the idea of it, the consideration of it can open up things. I've found this in my own life yeah. recently. Because I think we're all, I think, I think most people are good people, actually. And um, you would think that racism would be solved by now because most people are good people and we're all level-headed people. And But there's something that happened in this country that is per- perhaps in our body, perhaps right. in the air, perhaps in the trees, you know, perhaps in the roots of the trees that, and we have to acknowledge it and we have to begin to heal it. And it feels like it's not going to happen on its own. And, and it f- sort of feels like, magical thinking like oh there's something in my body you know like it sort of feels like it might be magical or something but I do think that we should look at it in a really real way and um I just we t- we've talked about it a lot walking mm-hmm. up Runyon and um I just was trying to well, Runyon Canyon in LA <laughs> yeah. is that where you guys do your uh we talk a lot about story like we yeah. we we take you know, for our marriage also, just, like, walking and talking is super important. Like, no screens, no TV. Right. And so we spend a lot of time, like, walking up Runyon, talking about story, ideas, you know, pitches for different things. For this show and for a lot of things. Yeah. What was it like to shoot those flashbacks? Or those... There wouldn't be flashbacks because it's more... It's, it's, well, I first, know. we got to talk about how we shot the original ones. Yeah. yeah. Which is, like, we had no money and so we went into a... Elysian Park. Park, dressed in slave garb with like <laughs> right. hike, hikers running past us. And uh, Cedric, who plays Baldwin, was actually the original Mr. Wonderful. So right. he was in slave garb 
And if you look closely in the old YouTube, there's like, you can see sometimes like she's like looking all mysterious into the camera and then like a car goes behind her head. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> I don't think this is yeah. slavery time. No, not but, quite. Um, but in the original script, I, I remember, this is where I, I started to really understand the way that GR works because uh, we had worked together in college, but we hadn't done much together since before we did American Coco. Right. And she had just written like slavery flashes in the script. <laughs> And and uh, my sister and I, who was producing the original, and she produced this one, we were like, what does that mean? Like, what do, you, what do you mean? She's like, I don't know. They just need to be in there. And so kind of through the course of, like, shooting it, it became this very, very integral thing that started, like, it, it, we ended up putting it all throughout the whole show. Because yeah. we were out, we were like, this needs to be layered. This needs to be everywhere. And so it was super helpful to redo it and to know that going in, that this was part of the language of the show and part of the story of this character that was going to go throughout the whole thing. Yeah. Um, but that was a discovery we made in shooting the original. That was really interesting. Yeah, and we didn't even discover it until post. You know, yeah. Miles was The power saying, of it or where it could be used. How much of, how much of a device it, it was for right. season one. And then we had to go back and reshoot. Mm-hmm. Um, some more because Miles was like this is great but it needs more because <laughs> it was like a right. regular story and then the slavery flashbacks right right you know? right <laughs> like, oh yeah we did go shoot we did shoot another day we went in yo, the park again yeah we went back and said what, what was it like to shoot that stuff to get in the costume and to do it you know we just needed to do it quickly we didn't have a permit like you're talking right. about the first time around we yeah. just kind of showed up in the park and was like hurry up slap me throw me on the ground alright you but, know but let you me totally, it's that run and gun thing I've been chased out of a few locations you totally you totally went for it yeah but I was kind of like I don't know if we can take our shoes off we might step on a syringe like let's yeah. <laughs> it was uh, you know it was guerrilla style filmmaking for sure that whole shoot now how did you guys first meet in college? We met in college. We met very early on in college. Maybe like the first day or two. And this is NYU, yeah? Yeah. yeah. What, what we, do you remember about that first meeting? Well, she says she doesn't remember it, but I remember like she was sitting in the hallway outside of like the directing workshop where you were going in to meet the directing teacher. And I was started talking to her and she's not interested at all. That's what I remember. Yeah, I don't remember that at all. But he's, <laughs> I don't remember that at all. But I do remember him doing like a a rap. We all were all placed in these different groups. Right. And every is theater school, so every group had to introduce themselves in some cool performative way. Oh wow. <laughs> and so that's what I that's really But we actually we became friends later on in college. I don't think that we really liked it like we were kinda like, oh like we both had a kind of a hard edge to us at that time. Um, we became friends probably junior year of college. Yeah. We started hanging out a little bit. And when did it turn into a romantic relationship? He directed me in a play. Or No, I guess... Right before the... We had already kissed when you... No, we had. Yeah. Yeah. Had when we? I had the audition for my senior directing project... We had kissed the night before, and then I was worried. I was like, damn, is she going to come into the audition? Like, I really need her in this show. And And you had kissed her the night before? Yeah, I might have just fucked it up. You might have messed up your creative vision. And then she came, like, an hour and a half late, like, right as auditions (laughs) were ending. She made a, like, real dramatic entrance. Oh, man. (laughs) Probably, it wasn't on purpose. I'm just late. (laughs) That's, that's, I read into it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then we've been together ever since, 12 years 
Mm-hmm. And did you come out here to L.A. together mm-hmm. at the same time? What was it like when you first got out here in terms of, okay, we went to school, we want to do these things? So it crushing was, and horrible. It can be hard, right? <laughs> I was about to go, it was so easy. We came You're out on here the right people podcast. were just like, here, here's a directing job. <laughs> yeah, go, yeah, yeah. Go forth, young, young one, young yes. artist. <laughs> God, it was rough. You know, it was rough. I remember having a hard time. We were we had a hard time getting jobs, like, Period. as waiters. You know right. what I mean? Like, we were just like, this is crazy. NYU did such a great job for preparing us to be artists. And we had all this passion and mm-hmm. love. And confidence in what you can do. Yeah. And, yes. Yeah, and like, you're fired up and ready to go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then it was, like, the actual practical application of becoming a business was so difficult for me to wrap my head around, and I think both for both of us to wrap our heads around. And um, it was tough. Was it good to have somebody else going through it with you? or It was yeah. good, and it, uh, it was also rough at the same time because then we were just both kind of, like, upset about where we were and things weren't happening. And we talk a lot about, like, partners being mirrors of each other like where you are mentally and spiritually and all of that um and so it was it was definitely very very difficult time because you are you have all this artistic stuff built up and there's no outlet yeah i was like i was like desperate to get like a pa job i was like oh if i could just get a pa job i can work my way up and not knowing that that's not really yeah. a real path yeah but, it's yeah. funny you hear these stories of like well you know for me it was like as an actor they're like well first you know you do some extra work and then you get your sad card and then you get a co-star part and then you get a guest star part and then, right. and you are trying to climb this specific ladder and the universe kept telling us over and over again that is not the way to go you it's know? not how it works that's not how it's going to work for you yeah. it works everybody has their own right has their own journey and for us the same thing with miles miles was like i gotta get this staff writing job you know and it was like that wasn't his path you know right. and so i think um that was the biggest lesson that we had to learn was to just empower ourselves and be like okay once we got we're creators we have to go create stuff and make work then the kind of the business rose up to meet us right we didn't have to go looking out all over the place for the op- for the perfect opportunity. You went out and made your own thing. Yeah. Um, before we started recording, you and I were talking about Glenn Mazzara, who was one of our mentors yeah. in the Writer's Access Project where we met. And he was so smart and great and cool. I, I really love that guy. Yeah. But he, you said that he was telling you that your, your, your path is to do your own thing and, and, and have people come to you rather than try to go up that sort of staff writer ladder yeah once i started writing yeah that was that's the other thing they tell you you go staff writer and then story editor and then this and that and he did say to me and i'm obsessed with limits era he is such a straight shooter and so funny and interesting and he was just like i don't see it happening for black women you know he was like i think you should try meaning the progression the sort of like the ladder that ladder jumping from show to show getting the bump every single time right um the bump means like the promotion right um, we just had i just interviewed chuck hayward who was also in our group and he talked about the bump because he had a couple of things where staff writer staff writer staff writer. he wasn't getting the bump and then he got it on Mm -hmm. dear white people and what it meant it's yeah. very common. It's a, yeah. it's, a, it's a hard jump to make from staff writer to story editor or right. assistant story editor. And I had the same thing. I did. Um, I was on Mysterios of Laura for 21 episodes. And then the next job I got, they offered me staff writer again. And I at first, I didn't even want to take it because I was like, this is insulting. You know, right. I have all this experience. And 
and I just created a you know a show where I was basically show running you know right um it ended up being a great experience and so I did did do it but it's true you can get stuck I think women and people of color oftentimes will be kind of circling that staff writer level over and over and and the the system that they've set up, which is super helpful, I think, in getting uh, people of color staffed, is also ends up working against them because then showrunners go like, well, if you don't get a bump, then this program pays for you again, and it ends up forcing people to repeat levels when they shouldn't. When right, because there are certain networks and production companies that will allot money to diversity hires as yes. part of these these sort of and so programs. it forces people to repeat the level, which uh, right because it kind of goes counter to what the mission of the program is, which is to create you know uh, a new group of people to rise to up rise to the up. Rank, right. ranks. And so it it's, can be counterproductive at times. Now, for you as a performer, uh, Diara, how did writing fit into what you were your sort of vision of yourself is were you did you always think of yourself as a writer or are you like i'm more of a performer but if i write i can get to do my own thing like how do you see those two things in relation to to each other yeah i i started writing to to have a role that i thought like was worthy of of what i of my talent right what i wanted to do you know i was doing a lot of theater and it was so great because i could play all these different parts the first thing i saw you in ever was uh the interlopers oh that's right you saw the gary gary lennon's play yeah and it was sensational yeah it was so good yeah gary is a huge mentor of mine yeah thank you he's so nice he's he's a he's a a really good egg and, yeah, and I did Gary's play, and he wrote this beautiful part for this, you know, trans. Uh, I was playing a trans man, you know, pre-op, um, and that just wasn't available to me right. in television and film. And so I was like, oh, I want to do something complex and interesting. And so I wrote the one woman show, and then I wrote, you know, American Coco, and that's kind of how it started. What was the one woman show? Uh, it was called The Devil Is Beating His Wife. Ooh. Well, actually, you wrote that in college. That was one of the first things that we worked on together is we had just started dating and she was like, hey, will you help me with my show? Right. And so I went to the rehearsal hall and I was like, let me see what you got. And you were like under that blanket. (laughs) It was actually um, some sheer curtains. You You were were under under some some sheer sheer curtains? curtains. I I didn't know what I was going to do with them, but they were speaking to me and I knew that Creatively, you know, a wind machine and some sheer curtains. Come on. And I said, let me show you what I have. I've written this piece and I have these sheer curtains. (laughs) And I was like up under them to start as like a spirit or something. And so the first thing he said was like, this is really good writing. Please... Get, get rid of the get curtains. Rid of those curtains. <laughs> and he started directing it moment by moment and crafting the whole show. Yeah. And it was so good. I mean, he really saved my ass because I was like, I'm going to direct it. I'm going to write it. I'm going to do everything. And it would have been a hot mess. Um, and so I redid that show when I came out here. Oh, that fantastic. Was the first, mm-hmm. first thing that, um, that I created for myself. But I think now I have really embraced the fact that I'm a multi-hyphenate. Right. Sort of, as much as I love performing, you know, there is something very specific that I think wants to come through me as a writer. And so I just have embraced it, even though I cannot write something without crying and being like, 
why the fuck am I doing this? I'm not a writer. When did this happen? Right. I don't get it. And like throwing a little bit of a tantrum and then being like, okay, yes, you are. It's fine. Yeah. Have some tea. Have some tea. Take a little break. <laughs> yeah. Sit back. Walk up Runyon. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Runyon is like your your therapist. Well, it's just down the street for it's us. Great. And it's the closest we can get to nature in Los Angeles. I was, I was here car. years before I knew it existed. And the th- amazing thing about it is when you're in there, you're in the middle of the city, but you don't always feel like you're in the city. Like, it's, you know. Who's the most famous person you always see running at Runyon? I mean, who do we see? We saw Jared Leto once. Okay, that's yeah. good. At night. He comes out at dusk. Yeah. yeah, he does. He's like he's like a a, a vampire. Or yeah. something. a lot of people. Like, yeah, that's the thing about Runyon. But we don't go for that. We literally go because we're trying to get some fresh air. Yeah, yeah and it's funny. My friend Yvonne, who I've also hiked Runyon with a lot, and we we started hiking Runyon before she was on Insecure. Yeah. And now she's the famous person on Runyon and people will be like waving at her being like, I heart you and stuff. So it's funny to see like how much things have changed in the last like year or so. Yeah. Does it feel like it? You got a lot going on. Yeah. Do you does. feel it? Yeah. It Good. Good. I'm glad. You also shot a pilot for Amazon. Yeah. Tell me about that. It was great. I got to go home. I'm from Detroit. Right. We shot in Detroit. Um, it's a story about a woman who's on this very modern career trajectory where she wants to become famous for no reason at all. Right. And, um, you know, she'll sort of figure out her purpose in life later, but she knows step one is to get famous. Right. Uh, and so I, I play her and, um, her and her best, I don't, I just play her, but it also stars Alicia Umpress, who's like a, a star of the great white way of Broadway. Oh, I love it. Um, and an actor named Jocko Sims. And it's really fun. It's just a really fun, um, kind of like a hood fairy tale is, Mm -hmm. um, is the approach that we took to it and directed by Chris Robinson, who did the, the new edition story. And, we just, we had a good time. I just delivered it yesterday. Now I love that. I just delivered it like it's a baby. Um, With Amazon, they put up their pilots and then people vote or yeah. whatever. Like, what's that process like? How's it gonna? How's it gonna um, come out? An excellent question. I, yeah, yes. I don't know because because you people vote or whatever, but you don't know if that's a, how big of a consideration that is I in it. And I think they factor in a lot of stuff. Yeah. Well, we still want people to vote. Yes. <laughs> but <laughs> but it, yeah. when will it go up? Do you know? Um, I've heard August or September. That's cool. What was it like to work with Amazon? Great. I mean, they have a very particular brand, you know, Mm -hmm. they have like their comedy style is very highbrow and very, um, sort of indie, like it's, it has like an indie film approach to it. Um, so I think the, my approach to the climb was a little more subtle. I think in the storytelling, uh, we know that we have more time, like should it go to series, it's like a five hour movie. So even though I think the storytelling and the plot would really ramp up, um, in this, should we go to series? Um, we really got a chance to tell kind of like a meditative, subtle pilot story. Right. Um, which is, which is, you know, an American Cocoa, like every 10 minutes it's like, oh, there's going to be yeah. turns. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that was, that gave me a lot of freedom. It was really nice. I'm so excited to see it. I'm going to vote for it. Thank you. Um, how did that project come about? So my agent, Jacqueline Cesario, was actually Miles' agent. You want to talk story. about that? She he was Miles' agent, and when we made American Cocoa, he sent it mm. to her. Mm-hmm. 
And then she became. And then she went. I have to rep your. I have to rep your wife. Oh my god! I was like, rep her, please. Like (laughs) to hear an agent say, "I have to rep you." Yeah, that must be awesome. She didn't say it to me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So we just really clicked, you know, Um, and. And then she left CAA and went over to Mark Gordon to work um, in their comedy development. Right, which is a production company. And she was like, and she, you guys had discussed several ideas, you know, when she was still at CAA. And that was the one that she was like, I want to do this first. Yeah. And I was, because when she was calling to say, I'm leaving CAA, I was like, oh, great. My champion there is gone. Exactly. Because who your people are and where they are and stuff or the people that get you or whatever it's really important yeah and so one person deciding you know what i'm out of the business can sort of change everything yeah i think it's true it's not always about the company it's about the person you're with that right. company you know and what your relationship is and so um she left and went to mark gordon but she again very true to her word was like i'm gonna take this we're gonna do this and and we this idea it. of the climb the mm-hmm. climb yeah. yeah and and we started developing it we sold it Mm, two years ago now is that right to amazon so i'm like mm, yeah maybe a year and a half no i think it's been two years since we sold it wow development is so slow <laughs> <laughs> and um and so yeah it was it was great and so then i got cool. great new reps at caa as well so it all worked out it all came together now i remember talking to you i don't know a year ago or something you seemed like there was something going on over at fx is that right yeah i i wrote a half hour pilot for fx oh right on um but that, because the climb was in second position to to that. Right. Um, but that didn't go. Okay. And it was a huge learning experience, and I was a. It was so necessary. Um, I needed to have that experience in order to write the climb um, and to navigate that whole process, yeah. which can be which can be very difficult. But um, yeah, I had a show with Color Force, which is okay. um, they do the the American Crime Story over there. And, right on. Um, and it didn't go. That's all right. What were the kinds of things you learned from that process? You said that you learned a lot. Yeah, I think um, I think it was how to listen for the note and how to how to listen for the note from the network um, that is a, just a suggestion and the note that is like, no, you really need to do this right. <laughs> because we're trying to think about it in terms of pro- how to program it as well. Sometimes, right? Um, so, and then also just what really makes people feel like the pilot is a springboard for the series, you right. know? And I think I accomplished that a lot better with the climb. Like I, even when I watch it, like even though as an artist, you're, it's never done, it's never perfect right. or anything like that. Like, even though I look at it and I go, Oh, Oh man, that could have been a little bit different. I do feel like when you finish that pilot, you're like, I want to know what happens to this girl. I want to know what her next move is. Yeah. And I don't know that I nailed that in the FX pilot fair enough what you said you shot in detroit which is where you grew up yeah what do you hope you captured about detroit in your pilot well the main thing was like detroit has such an awful reputation you know it's like you think that it's a shithole if you if you only um read about it or listened to eminem or you know watched eight mile or whatever and for me it was such a wonderland growing up, you know, when I think about there was this lot across from where I grew up. It was an empty lot. 
and the grass was overgrown and um, there were all these flowers and I would like frolic in there and I thought it was like a meadow and it wasn't until I was much older that I was like oh the grass was overgrown because someone probably should have cut that and these are not flowers these are dandelions right it didn't it didn't affect my perception of the city. It was still magic to me. And That's so amazing. I wanted to take an adult fairy tale and place it in Detroit because I wanted to, the world to see like the magic and the warmth and the, the sort of nuance of what's beautiful about the city. What was it like in terms of dealing with the city and shooting and getting atmosphere people and just like the experience of shooting something in, in your hometown? That's my favorite part. There's a scene where we go into a bar and it's like a Detroit it's bar, yeah. and they're doing the Detroit. And the, the extras that rolled in there yeah. were out of control. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, they we you know we just we just really captured what that bar feels like and right. what it feels like to do the barroom hustle in there on during happy hour. And I just I love it. There, we also had you know some local actors that we hired that were great. One of them didn't didn't make it all the way through. You know, he kind of had a meltdown on set, and he was quickly replaced by another local actor who right. nailed it. Um, so, but just getting that kind of texture was great. Yeah, it's cool. Um, and Miles, you've got some other things cooking as well, he has right? Millions. You're on fire. Cooking. What? What? Tell us about some. Uh, I am doing a show right now with the Russo brothers and. Uh, it's are a, they Stranger Things, or am I thinking of somebody else? Those are the Duffer Brothers. Duffer Brothers. Who the are the Russo, Russo Brothers? brothers uh, they're doing Avenger. They're directing Avengers three and four right now. Fuck and yes. Uh, they directed like the last couple of Captain America. Right on. But they also do stuff like Community, and you know, so they're very versatile. Right. Um, and that's a comic book adaptation that I'm co-writing, which is my first experience with that. That's awesome. Um, and I'm writing with the comic book creator rick can you can you talk about what what it is what the comic is or yeah the comic is called deadly class it's uh takes place in a school for assassins in 1987 oh that's cool and so we're kind of taking a look at all like the late 80 like most of the 80s stuff you watch is like kind of the early 80s nostalgia like oh reminiscent and the the leotards and and all of that and yeah and it's very soft and nostalgic. And this is like all the anger that built up in the late 80s against Reagan and everything that was happening. The punk scene and the goth scene. And right. It's and really, really fun. Different than your John Hughes 80s. Yeah, yeah, aesthetic. for sure. Yeah. There's even like a little monologue in the in the story about John Hughes and how, you know, how these kids are like rejecting all of that. They're not having it. I just watched Ferris Bueller's Day Off last night for the first time in years and years and years. I love Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I know. It, it holds up. Yeah. it's. I love John Hughes, and but this is not that. This is not that. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. So it's cool because we get to explore all the all the high school stuff and, and all those relationship dynamics, but then we get to do super fun action right. stuff as well. Was there a moment that you two shared where, when you talk about when you first came out here and you couldn't get arrested or any of that, was there, are there moments along this journey where you kind of look at each other and go, we're moving, we're, we're, it's, we're getting there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. When are they? Are they the moments when you're out? Tuesday, like the screening Tuesday, for your Tuesdays. thing the other night at CAA was like so fabulous. It was packed and fancy theater and the beautiful lobby and the hors d'oeuvres and everything. Yeah. 
I think we're constantly reminding each other of like, look at where we were a few years ago or like, look, Mm -hmm. you know, I think it was a big deal when we stopped having like, quote unquote, day jobs. Like Mm -hmm. that was a huge step forward. And there's another step. We got health insurance. Oh, that was massive. That was crazy. (laughs) Wow. When you get that health insurance card, you're just like, wow. I'm an adult. And it's sick that in our society, you know, that should be such a big deal. Right. Because it should be a huge accomplishment. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's like, okay, now you're worthy of health insurance. (laughs) Right. That only took eight years of hard work. (laughs) Yeah. But that was insurance. That was a big moment. And also, when did that come in in the course of your writing and stuff Um, like that? Was it with the Writers Guild or was it before that? I had qualified for health insurance with SAG. Right. But SAG has different tiers. Mm -hmm. So it's like if you only qualify, if you don't qualify, I wasn't qualifying for tier one which right. is like the good shit yeah if this was like <laughs> if you get run over by a bus they'll admit you kind of right. health insurance. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, yeah. you know I, so when i got that good writer's guild insurance yeah, yeah. from thank you wga Laura, that writer's insurance is is a beautiful thing that's awesome and it just shows up at the they understand writers so well the car just shows up i've never gotten like, the level of getting the writer's guild insurance it's gonna is it going to be amazing? Yeah. I'm, I'm speaking the word right now. Oh, really? Now. Yeah. I'm, I'm really, oh, you don't this, know how much I need to hear that. This time next yeah. year, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want right. you to call me and say, I am insured. <laughs> <laughs> I right? just went to therapy and they, yeah. they paid for most of it. Yeah. Really? They, they cover psychotherapy as well. These are writers, Dennis. Right, they need that shit. <laughs> yeah. That's a cool thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was there a moment ever on the set or whatever where you're like, gosh, we're doing this now? This is happening. So many times. There's yeah. actually a moment when we were shooting the original Coco where we were like shooting all day, we're directing, then we're going home when we're like, I think I was like making like the treat, the original set for the kids play. Right. And I was like painting and our house was full of paint and stuff. And there was just like a moment where we were just like, wow, this is really fun. Mm-hmm. Even though we weren't making any money and we were right. spending our rent money and we were like, what are we going to do? But it was still really fun. You're doing and your thing. And when yeah. we were shooting this version of Coco, and we looked around, and there was like trailers, and people are running around, and it was just kind of like, "This is amazing, and, yeah." And this is what we want to be doing. What has the reaction been like since it went up online? Because it's provocative. There's all kinds of. There's a disclaimer at the front that says this program deals with issues of racial. <laughs> yeah. What What is it? It's like racial humor, and it's a. It's. I don't know. It just says. It basically says. This show talks about race. Kind right. Of. Um, but I feel like in, that, in this temperature, I get why they might have thought that was a good idea to put up there. People are worked up. Yeah. We had joked about having a disclaimer that right. was different every time. Almost right. like the Chuck Lorre thing. Right. It was like, this is unsuitable for people who attend Trump rallies. Right. And people with massively small dicks and right. massively large heads or whatever. And Massively we- small dicks. <laughs> Those are the worst. Aggressive. Those are the worst kind of small dicks you can deal with. Aggressively small dicks. Yeah, this, this program is not suitable. And um, but they settled on that one. But so far, the reception has been overwhelmingly positive. I mean, people on Twitter are just making my whole life. What kinds honest. of things are they saying? I'm, I, I'm sure there are a lot of people that really relate to it and are going, "Yes, finally, somebody's articulating the things that I'm thinking and stuff." Yeah. It's been a lot of cosigns, a lot of amens, a lot of, you know, they love the cast. They love the clothes, you know. Um, you have that kick-ass blue coat. Do you know what I'm talking yes, about? Yes. What you get to the, do those cool shots where you're just walking around like a badass. What was the brand? <clears throat> what, what I think that coat is that? Burberry. Yeah, Burberry. Yeah. And um, 
we cheated a little bit because we we told Dominique, who's our costume designer, Dominique Dawson, you know, <clears throat> we're only going to do stuff that she could like kind of afford, you know. Yeah. So she did a lot of the <clears throat> shopping at thrifting thrift shops and Forever Twenty One, and, right. and that coat is just a straight up rental from. Dominique right. was like, "This is the coat, <laughs> right? This has. There's no discussion about yeah. this coat." Yeah, and I just and I decided that the backstory was that a rich woman gave a coat with a yes. coat. As as payment for her services, you right? Know? Yeah. You you had to figure. You know, it's kind of like we're absolutely not going with anything expensive. I've got to wear that fucking yeah. coat. Yeah, yeah. And I get it. What I lo- what I love about your character, um, Diara, is she's a mess. Kind of, she's not perfect. <laughs> she does fucked up stuff. She says things that are really on PC. Like, and I think it's cool that you chose to portray her that way, especially in these areas that are such hot-button issues for a lot of people. Yeah, we were watching... Remember we were watching old All in the Family episodes? My husband's helping me out right now. I'm jangling a a bottle. That's okay, it happens. Um, And um, we were just like, wow. They took a lot of risks. We love that that Archie Bunker existed because even though he was saying crazy fucked up shit it actually helps the audience breathe a sigh of relief because we know it's happening right it so felt like the truth yeah so let's see this actual person say these right. actual things is actually healing and then we can decide as a society if that's okay with us or right not, you know and so but somebody has to say them and somewhere along the way tv went and became much much safer about that type of thing like there's an episode of all in the family where Archie accidentally goes to a Klan rally. Yeah. And then he looks around and everyone throws up their hood and he's like, oh shit. What? <laughs> I've just been like... I never knew that. I yeah. don't, I that's mean, amazing. Edgy, topical, yeah. uh, you know, just attacking the yeah. the culture in a way that like we hope American Coco is, is, is having, is, is pushing that hard yeah right. it's about showing us who we really are at this moment you know and we're not non-racist and we say fucked up things and right. we step in messes but let's see it and uh yeah and norman lear talks about that in his book actually about the 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 sort of decency police that kind of came on the scene and kind of changed what could be said at eight o'clock on right primetime television and how that all changed but and also a lot of actors don't want to play they want to come off as they, they want to play sort of noble characters or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Especially when you have a show that that is wants to challenge and wants to take on these issues. You'll make jokes about you you you, you said something about Asian drivers yeah. and something, but then it pays off in this really funny way later. And but like you and then there's the Asian character that challenges you on that or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like it seems like everything's on the table, and I, I I like that the reaction seems to be that people are getting it. In the spirit that it's meant for and, and intended. Do you guys know about the um, app next door? So my roommate and I are on it. She got on it before me, and it's just like stuff about your neighborhood. Hey, does anyone know about that accident that happened on Hollywood Boulevard? Or look out, there's a coyote or whatever. Mm. And I've barely even looked at it. But my my friend said she had to kind of take a break because it got so racial out of nowhere. Like somebody was saying. Um, you guys, there's a taco truck parked on the street. Be careful because the way it's angled, you kind of can't see. It's something about, like, there's this taco truck and the way it's parked is kind of dangerous for people. Be aware. And somebody's like, I can't believe how racist you are or whatever. And then one person said, hey, I have some leftover peaches. Would anyone like some? And they're like, I can't believe you didn't give those to homeless people. Uh-huh. Like, it's just, I feel like there's this rage 
in the world. Yeah. And people are freaking out. Um, I have no, I have no question about that. No, but, but I, I think, feel like I feel like it's like people are just like. Yeah, I, I think that's why worked up. A what is likable. Yeah. Because even though she's so angry sometimes, right. It's everybody's angry, you know. Yeah. Even I think I think the Trump rallies showed us that, like we we were looking at white male anger in a different way during the election and after. It's like it, they might not have the same politics as a Kosowa, right? But every there is, I think, a collective rage that's kind of bubbling up to the surface. And I I also think it's I think it's because people that didn't have a voice for so long because of the internet, because of Twitter and stuff like that, they're like, we have a fucking voice now, and we've mm. had it. Mm-hmm. You know, for a long time, sort of media wasn't, these voices weren't able to cut through. And now they are more. And I think, I think it's um, an interesting time to make a show like you made it. Um, you also get to dance in your show. Yeah. There's dancing in the climb, too. I realize I like to dance. You should like to dance. Dancing is a wonderful thing. You get to stand like a CSI chick. I already mentioned that. Um, let me see what else I have here. Let's do some of the character, the questions you picked from the observation deck. Oh, you worked with J-Lo. That's what I wanted to ask about. And Viola yeah. Davis yeah. in that movie. Yeah. Who were your scenes with? With them. With both of them together. Yeah, I had a scene with them and I had a scene with Chris Chalk, who's a, also a great actor. And the movie was called Lila and Eve. Yeah. Fun. is that, But you'd already known Viola before that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that must have been cool. But yeah. that was the first time working with her, right? That was my first time working with her. And What was it like? They're both sort of... Amazing. Amazing in their own way, you know, or heavy hitters. And yeah, it was perfect. You know, it. it was great. And they were both um, really kind. And they're, I mean, it's basically like having the sun and the moon, like, in one room. And you would think, oh, God, how did that go? And it was perfect and fine and beautiful. And, and J-Lo smells great and Viola smells great. And When J-Lo's on TV, like, judging a show, I just want to look at her like she's a sun. Like, it's literally like... I don't know. Her beauty hypnotizes me a little bit. Yeah, it's a lot. Okay. So you guys both picked some questions from the observation deck. Some uh, might apply more to one than the other, but you can both jump in. Have you ever written a fan letter? No. I (laughs) I wrote one to Oprah when I was, like, in the third or fourth grade. That's amazing. I've been a fan, though. Yeah. What did you say? Well, there was a kid that was calling me Oprah Winfrey because he said I talk too much, which I'm sure everyone listening (laughs) was like, well, the kid was right. Right. Nailed it. Um, (laughs) But um, so I I told my mom, oh, this kid is calling me Oprah. And my mom was a teacher, so she can't just let anything go. So we had to go to the library and check out books about Oprah Winfrey and, and, and so that I could say, oh, thank you so much. This is such a compliment Yeah. because Oprah is a badass and, you know, she survived all this sexual assault. How did that, how did that, that. how did that comeback work on the playground? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This is an amazing story. I feel like this should go into one of your projects. I always had lofty comebacks. Yeah. Um, and so, um, if you're well read, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I was well read, and I'm sure he was like, "Whatever, bitch," and like yeah. went on. But um, so after that experience, I part of the the closure of it was to write Oprah herself and tell her how she had empowered me in this, you know, school bully situation. And then she sent me back a signed photo that I think was in the office. Is it still in the office? I want to see the picture of Oprah um, before we um, leave. I might take a picture I'm, of it to post. I'm sure it's in there somewhere. That's yeah. amazing. It's Matt, like, 1992-ish, you know? Yeah. Have you ever met her? No. I mean, Oprah is... We are in relationship. Yeah. <laughs> like, me and Oprah are in relationship. 
I can quote her. She just her. doesn't know it yet. She doesn't know it yet. It feels like I'm in one with her. I feel like she, that's not uncommon. Yeah. Super Soul Sunday. I'm down with Super Soul Sunday. Super Soul Sunday. When she's sitting under that tree having that conversation with whoever. Yes. Well, let's, yeah. we'll just have to meet her before she becomes president. I love that. Yeah, that would be great. All right. What's a voicemail that was left on your machine that you played more than once? <laughs> well, Diara leaves... It's funny because the two people that I work with the most are Diara and my friend Rick, who writes the comic books, and they both leave very weird messages on my voicemail. Like, Diara will leave a message for, like, a minute that's just, like, cat sounds. Yeah. And Diara, and Rick will, will just sing, leave these weird, like, old sailor songs. Just random. Just, just mine gook that he was just thinking. So... Between the two of those, my voicemail is full of all kinds of weird stuff. That you go like back that. to and yeah. enjoy. Yeah. Do you have one, Diara? What is it? What voicemail do I play back? My dad sings horribly. Right. And uh, he always leaves songs on my, yeah. on my voicemail. That's that cool. Listen to. More than once? Yeah. Your, yeah. your mom. funny. Your mom was at the event the other night, the screening yeah. you had. Wow, that was so cool that she was there. Yeah, she lives here. How did that feel, though? Was it amazing? Yeah, it is. You know, I was wishing my grandmother were still alive to have yeah. been there, too. So it's just, there's, those are the kinds of things, I'm so glad you mentioned, you could take for granted. Like, oh, Miles' parents were also there. I didn't ask mm-hmm. him to stand up because his dad is, like, massively kind of shy. Is shy the word? He's a, he's a hermit. He, he he wouldn't have Where did you grow pleased. up, Miles? What part of the I country? grew up in Northern California. Okay. Even though it sounds like I'm from Alabama or Kentucky right. or whatever, I grew up like an hour north of San Francisco. Oh, right on. So my dad is like a painter, so he's like, and if people come over, he'll just sit there quietly, eat his meal. He, he doesn't necessarily want to be the center of attention, so DR spared him that. Yeah. But it's a, you know, it's, it's nice to have our parents there and supportive. Yeah. So happy and proud of us. And no matter yeah. how old you get, you always want that. You always want your yeah. parents to be like, good job. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Okay, what's the worst job you ever had? Any of them that were not acting or writing. Or yeah. I've enjoyed teaching in, in spurts, depending on the program. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've had so many terrible PA jobs, like on reality shows on I was a nighttime watcher on a reality show where I was just supposed to look at the cameras when the set the contestants were sleeping. Oh my god. And it was just me in a room from like ten until like seven in the morning when the rest of the crew came. That was terrible. And it was some reality show where they were sick. And they're just like they're all just sleeping. I think everyone yeah. was trying to become a superhero or some fucking a super shit. Mo- a a soap even, star. No Wasn't that a was soap a soap star? That was a different show. Wow. But I mean, a bunch of terrible jobs. Did anyone that you had to watch, did they ever um, have Nookie and go climb in each other's beds or anything? No, it was literally just a bunch of nerds sleeping. (laughs) (laughs) That's rough. And you you say you taught, but what were some of the other lame jobs that you did that you didn't like? I waited tables. Yeah. um, But I was so bad at it. I mean, I was spilling stuff on people. I could never carry a lot of drinks at once. Right. So if I was ever placing them down in front of someone i was normally spilling the other drinks into their lap so mm. she would always just tell people it was her first day yeah for yeah like that was the your entire time yeah. she worked the whole there. time i'm so sorry it's my first they're day. like we've been coming here for years <laughs> <laughs> what kind of restaurant i worked at ford's filling station in culver city okay that was the that was my first and last i think did you ever wait on anybody famous 
Um, yeah. I think you have a non-disclosure agreement. Yeah, I think I do, actually. <laughs> do you? I think I do. Because, wow, I love uh, that a restaurant would have an NDA. Because Harrison Ford, like, owned part of it. Oh, something. I see. So I think I did, actually. Okay. I'm not allowed to tell. All right. That's cool, though. What's the most trouble you ever got in in school? Miles got in. This is all Miles. I didn't <laughs> yeah. get in trouble. It's so funny, because I don't know who picked which question, so it's kind of like you look at each other like, oh, that's a, that's a Miles um, question. The most trouble, well, I didn't actually get in trouble, but I took mushrooms. I, 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 I was in the most trouble emotionally. <laughs> right, it, did, it did not go well. Just I, yesterday, a friend of mine <laughs> called me and said he took mushrooms, and he had this profound experience that, was, that unlocked something inside. Like, he was saying, I loved what I just experienced. I didn't have that in Spanish class after I took mushrooms, but... Uh, that was probably the most trouble I was in because I was just trying to make it through the rest. So of you the took day. mushrooms and then went to school. That's so stupid. No, no, no. Yeah, no. you need to walk out ar- a few days. I was already at school. You were already at school. I took them during lunch. Uh, a friend of mine came up to me and was like, "Hey, man, I'm on mushrooms." And I was like, I was kind of doing a bravado thing where I was yeah. like, "Yeah, give me, give me some, some of those." Of shit. And then he was like, "Here you go." Yeah. And then I was like, kind of caught. So I was like, I guess I'm taking these. Peer pressure. Yeah. And you were just out of your mind the rest of the day. It was a bad, I would say it was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> it was a learning experience. Wow. And then when I got home, I was still tripping so hard that uh, eventually my mother realized that something was seriously wrong. And yeah. then uh, she was like trying to get it out of me. And she was like, did what something did you happen? Her? Did you get in a fight? Were people making fun of you? Like she was like going through a list of all the terrible yeah, things. Yeah, she said, Are you, do you think yeah. you're gay? Like she went and through I, the whole And thing. I was just being like, no, no, no. And she's like, did you take drugs like after school? And I was like, no, because I was thinking I took them during school. <laughs> yeah. Technicality. And did then she ever get it out of you? Finally, I was just like, I'm on mushrooms. And then she was just like, why didn't you just tell me that? Now I know what to do. Oh, she was a hip. You know, my yeah, your parents sound cool. So yeah, yeah. But then when I came out, when I finally came down at like nine o'clock, and I walked out into the into the kitchen, you know, everyone's sitting at the dining table, and it was like my uncle, my dad, and everyone's quiet. And I like sit down, and then they just started cracking up. Like <laughs> I a bunch love of that. old hippies who just taking like, a million things did, of acid. Yeah. They just thought like this rookie. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> so funny. Have you ever taken them again in a different situation? Yes. He likes mushrooms. They're yeah. all right. I've, mushrooms, I, I, I will return to that well. Okay. Um, where's the weirdest place you've ever seen your own image? We just saw it in, on, the, on that uh, Aruba wedding site. Oh, yeah. There's a, there's a wedding site in Antigua. And somebody in said, the it, yeah, like, have your wedding here. And it's a picture of our wedding from Topanga. And we were like, um, how did that happen? Just, they, they just pull they it off the web? It. Yeah, they, they just probably it. found it on Facebook. Yeah. Wow. So, or in essence, our wedding was in essence. essence. Your wedding was in essence. That's cool. How did what what <laughs> did they write? Do a write up? They it? they did. It was the most controversial wedding ever in essence. Yeah, we didn't realize we were stepping into that when, um, but we were. I think the first or one of the first interracial couples to be featured on essence.com bridal bliss section right and the the people on facebook had a lot of opinions like wow (laughs) there was like thousands and thousands of comments with people debating the merits of this it was hilarious and some people were like you know run girl he's gonna kill you for the insurance money you know that kind of thing (laughs) and um we wanted to actually preserve all the comments and have a dramatic reading of them but 
they took them down yeah. because of there was they got they got hostile. It you got know, too like your much. App you were talking about. Yeah. Oh my god! Next yeah. door, you don't want to know what's happening with the cat on the in the you know. Yeah, courtyard. I, I feel that. I feel that. Wow! I, I walk around the neighborhood. And I'm like, I don't need to know what that person's thinking. I know. Thinking. <laughs> I don't need to know. That's so wild. So they did a feature on your thing, and then just it was, and it was the first interracial one that they had. Featured? We don't know, but I think it was. It felt, it felt like it because it generated more likes and comments than and shares. It, it was and it crazy. Was yeah. Wow. Was it was it people that were both positive and negative, or mm-hmm. were? Yeah, but even the positive stuff was like, yeah, girl, get you a white man because they ain't about shit out here. You know, like, it was yeah. like, it was no. even still, it was like, okay, well, thank you, but. Nobody no. was like, we're so happy for you. Many happy was, returns. Some, oh, no, no, some people yeah. were. Some yeah, people yeah. were. I also wore cornrows on my wedding day. Yeah. And the people were I remember like, the pictures. They were beautiful. Yeah, people were like, oh, we love that she, you know, didn't necessarily go to the straight hair just because it was like a formal event. So right. there was some really supportive things but it was also some crazy people on there that were what was it like and, to they read just, them? and they said that i looked like a nerd yeah well you have big glasses what, what was it like to read either comments like we actually thought i don't like hilarious. to read comments about things that i write or put out i don't I, you know what i mean i don't i don't know it's something about it it's hard well, um, if it were if it were like negative comments about work the work, yeah. you probably wouldn't want to read it but that was hilarious it was kind of it's really like this is about them and this yeah. is a really interesting look into where our society is at this moment and stuff like that. It's so interesting. Who yeah. knew? And now somebody's taking your picture and they're advertising Antigua. You should be able to like email them and say, we need, we a, need free a free trip. trip. I agree. Well, he actually called. This yes. is the man I'm married to. He actually was on hold with the people and they said, oh, hello, welcome to the Antigua, whatever. And he was being like, um, our picture is on no, your I site. No, I rolled them into a <laughs> trap first. I said, are all the pictures of your actual resort? And she was like, yeah. And then I was like, oh, that's interesting because one of them is from our wedding in California. And then she was like, hold, please. So we are lobbying for a free trip. I think so. Yes. I think you should get one. That's crazy. Is it still up there? Yeah, it's still up there, isn't it? I don't know. I got to check. I want to look. Where? What's the website? I'm not going to give them. We don't need to. Like yes, that. I want to look though. Okay, whose job offers would you like to receive? You both point to each other like <laughs> you didn't pick that one. I didn't. I picked it. Um, I just thought it would be an interesting question. Yeah. There's they, a like lot they of, accidentally called the wrong number or the. Uh, there's a lot of people that I would just like to work with in some capacity. Right on. Um, like, this is going to sound maybe ridiculous to some people. I would love to work with Tom Cruise because mm-hmm. I just feel like he's one of the hardest working guys in show business. Tom Cruise like, is a great movie star. Yeah, He's I just, I mean, I would love to work with some of the people that have just been doing it forever and learn, yeah. like the Spielbergs and the, the people like that who just have done it so many times and delivered so many great films to us. Yes. Um, and then there's just like a lot of like young, interesting filmmakers and directors and writers and costume design. Like, there's so many people that I would be excited to work with in this town. Awesome. Next question: Who are your teen crushes? Mine was Tay Diggs. Mm. So much so that they called my my clique of friends called me Diara Tay. That was the that was that my was your nickname, nickname in high school. Was it from uh, How Stella? Post How Stella? Because that's where he was super And then you hot. got to work with yeah, him. Yeah, I, well, 
Yeah, I did a couple episodes of a And now he follows practice. her on Twitter, which I'm a little That's, suspect about. I was excited. I was like, oh my God, Tay Diggs, follow me on Twitter. And then, right. I, and then Rick actually was like, Tay Diggs follows everybody on Twitter. <laughs> and I went and he was following like a million people. It still doesn't care. He follows you. He's not following me. Yeah, that glass is half full. Well, thank you. What was it like when you met him finally? He was so sweet and so nice. Right. And, uh... We were just, we didn't have a scene together. We were just yeah. in the makeup trailer together. And but was, was there a part of you going, gosh, I remember when I was Diara Tay? Diara Tay? Yeah. Yeah, I do, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have um, movie star crushes when, when you were a kid? Um, I was kind of into Tyra Banks I when I was like 12. <laughs> right. What was, was Coyote Ugly era? No. no. Younger, sports modeling. Illustrated. Yeah, yes, sports Illustrated. Sports yes. Illustrated. He, yeah. had, he had Tyra posters. He wasn't worried about her acting skills, yes. I don't think. No, I was not a fan of her acting. <laughs> no. I didn't even know she was an actor. No. Is she an actor? Oh. Yeah, she's school, an actor. What's the, what's Coyote the, what, Ugly. What's the one about the school? The Mike Rapport goes crazy. Higher Learning? Oh, yeah. What, no. Yeah, she's, she's a track higher, star? She's I think she learning. is, yeah. She's also in Love and Basketball. Yeah. Yeah, she's she's an actor. What's the movie that you guys quote in um, Love Jones? Love Jones, and everybody in the audience knew the quote, and I was like, yeah. I don't know that quote. You gotta, <laughs> we got to watch that movie, man. I know. That's an is it is it fantastic? If you want to know Dr, you got to know that movie. I love that movie. I actually saw somebody on people on Facebook arguing about whether or not it was good, and some people were like. Do I still get to keep my black card because I don't love that movie? Yes, you still get to keep your black card. But it was a big movie for me. I loved it. was like... Who's in it? It's Nia Long and, and Lorenz Tate. Tate. Oh, yeah. Uh, Isaiah Washington is in it. It's like... And who's the guy from Drumline? The bald-headed guy? Well, damn. I don't know. Yeah. That's what he says in the movie, but I, yeah. I don't know his name. But it was just... It came out at a time where I was too young to be watching it. But, um, <laughs> but there were so many hood movies that were coming right. out. And it was, like, the first movie I felt like I saw with black people in it that was, like, almost, like, hipster black people. And right. they were really smart, and they were artistic, and they were... Doing poetry and shit. Yeah, they were doing poetry, and they looked good, and mm. and, and they were... And it just chronicled this, chronicled this love story, and I was really taken with it and watched it on videotape over and over again. Well, it's funny, because in your screening, when, that, when your character starts quoting it, like... Six to ten people around me joined in on the quote and said it all the way to the end. And I was like, oh, everyone knows this quote. That was one of my favorite moments in the screening. They were into it. Yeah. That was awesome. That must have been exciting. Because with the web series, you don't often get to see it with a a theater full of people. Um, This is the last question you picked. Where's the strangest place you've ever been recognized? Oh, she's not into that question. We had a... (laughs) Diara was on a... On a like a pranking show for a while like i saw that on the 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 uh imdb that was like one of the random jobs that she had yeah her job was like to go and pretend to be like a dater or something and then make people go crazy yeah and so we were like in chinatown and somebody came up and was like are you guys on a disaster day and diara was like well if we are then you just fucking ruined it (laughs) right yeah so it was called the disaster date and you were one of the the, disasters but yeah. you were like 
from the production that was meant to mess everything up. Yeah, it was a show on MTV where right. your friend would hook you up on a blind date and then you would show up and it would be me or, or someone else from our cast. And, you know, the producers had already talked to your friend and they know, oh, you hate loud people or you hate people who chew with their mouth full of food or whatever. Or talk so you were meant to push every red flag button yeah. that they have. Yeah, and, and they didn't know. there was a lot of people who did pretty good that came off of that. Show. Wasn't Hassan on Hassan that show? from... Yeah. Um, the Daily Show, who just hosted the White House Correspondence Dinner. Oh, right, right, right. He was on the show. Uh, Jen Lilly, who is... She's on a soap now. I'm not sure which one. But she has, like, a rabbit, like, fan base. Um, and there's a couple of, you know, really great people that were on that show. Um, Fahim Anwar, who has a great uh, comedy special out right now. So, What was it like to trick people? I to it. also be an actor and like I need to perform, I need to be in the moment, blah blah. But I'm also kind of tricking people. I loved it. <laughs> That's okay. It was so much fun because I'm such a weirdo anyway that right. a lot of times I'm stifling like the need to just get up and sing or right. scream or whatever. So you got to act like a nut job date person. She, she set the record for shortest date. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody's like, I'm out. I'm out of yeah. here. Yeah. I think I think Bethany Dwyer, who is also a stand-up comedian, I think she ended up breaking it. Uh-oh. But, um, yeah, I think I did like an 18- or 19-minute date, and the guy was like, no, I can't. <laughs> but... <laughs> and they're like, we don't have a full episode here. You got to stretch. Yeah. That's what I learned. You, oh yeah. I was like, oh wow, I'm I'm running them off too fast. Right. Let me just kind of buy my. We got to build a, a commercial. Bit. Yeah, but what we learned, the thing about guys is you can act crazy as a woman, but then if you say, oh my god, I just really feel like having sex later, or like, oh, I'm so horny, they'll stick around. Yeah. And they can just edit those lines out later. Right. So that, that helped to keep guys there for a little bit longer. So you would literally say, I'd make crazy, 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 I'm so horny, crazy, yeah, crazy, yeah, yeah. crazy, and like, they would hang. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Simple speeches. I want to watch these shows. A lot of them used to be up on YouTube, but yeah. I feel like the copyright infringement people might have might have come for them. Yeah. That's crazy. All right. It's been so fun talking to you guys. I'm so excited for all you got going on. American Coco. Everyone should go watch that. ABC.com. Yeah. They decided to put both seasons up at the same time, right? Yeah. Boom. They're watch, both up. Watch yeah. away. What, uh, is there talk of a season three? Is there, how does, what we happens? Hope, we hope so. There yeah. are people on Twitter who are like lobbying, for, lobbying it. for it. We hope so. I love working with Miles. I love working with the, the crew um, and that cast. So I really hope that we have a chance to do it again. Who's your dream um, co-star, like special guest star? Ooh. Tay Diggs? Viola. Viola, yeah. we, we Has she Vi- ever talked about it? Has it ever come up? I, I'm sure it's one of those things where you don't want to push it, but, you know, maybe she loves the show. Maybe there's something. We yeah. talked about that Milo's adopted mother is Viola. That would be amazing for your character. Just yeah. Any chance that we can get to work together. Miles just see. wants to touch her. Like, Miles yeah. is like, he loves her. Um, I told her, I was like, I was like great actors, we got to work together. And I'm ter- I'm a terrible actor. So I think I'm you just, do really I'm well. Sorry. I appreciate no, that. What's it like for you to act? Is it like, does it, do you uh, enjoy it? Yeah, it's it's super fun. I just hope that I don't ruin the show. That's like my goal. You I have a lot of my I favorite said, lines said, and a lot of my... He's great. My I think one of my the times I laughed the hardest was your two characters have to go undercover to try to trick somebody into doing something. 
and Diara's character starts doing an accent, and you're like, we're doing accents? You didn't know that they were doing accents, and you do this whole ruse. I think you have uh, some of the funniest lines and some of the best timing, so that's I, cool. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, and he's great. I can't wait to see you in your scene with Diara, uh, with uh, Viola Davis. Me too. Um, Diara, you got to write that. I got to write You got to write it. Um, so go to abc.com, watch the series, watch out for The Climb, and also the comic book adaptation, hopefully coming your way soon and last question how would you guys describe this time in your life good <laughs> great i mean it's like it's nice we were just talking about this the other day you know when you just are in a space where you just get to be creative it's really nice and you yeah. don't have the stress of like god i'm sick how much are they going to charge me to go to the doctor or you know, you're you're out with people and you're watching the bill and you're being like, mine was seventeen dollars. If they try to split this evenly four ways, I did not get that fucking iced yeah, tea. Yeah, I had I water. Exactly. I right. did not have any wine. You know, like just removing that kind of feeling from right. your life is really nice. You can relax. It frees up a lot more energy to be creative and to think about what you really want to say and who you really want to be as an artist. So that feels really good. I love that. Yeah. You second that motion? I agree. All right. Was there, was there a, a time when you think of, like, your lowest struggling point? Is there a one night that comes to mind or one day or, like, th- like a place that symbolizes that? A moment when you're like, that's what that was. 2008. Yeah. <laughs> the whole year? I mean, I mean, there were, there's lots. To be an artist, you have to just, you got to leave a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, you know, behind. And right. It was just, there was so much work that had to be done just on ourselves as people and on our craft. And I think we showed up and we were like, we're these amazing artists. Everyone give us everything that we deserve. And we hadn't really earned it yet. Right. And so there was a whole process of getting knocked down and really going back to the drawing board and being like, how are we going to be artists in this town? Um, So I wouldn't change it, but it was... I'm glad it's over. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. When I asked that question, Diara, you did like a gesture. Was there a moment you were thinking of? Oh, I was thinking. He probably doesn't want to talk about it when he like ripped up his scripts. Oh, yeah. I've ripped up all my scripts before. (laughs) Wow. That's so intense. Yeah. And then she came out in the living room and there was a script pages everywhere. And I was like, oh, baby. (laughs) Oh. And what was crazy was he did that, and then I think you got the movie right after that. Yeah, then I saw the movie like a month later, so it was premature. It was premature. And then I I, I think I backed that up. I wasted all that paper. I know, the trees. But it felt cathartic in the moment. No, I get it. Sometimes you... I I get this. Yeah. Okay, this is really my last question. Okay. If you could tell yourselves when you first came to L.A. anything from this point, from where you are now. Oh, it's easy. Start making your own shit right now. I think we had a blessing in the house, which is like, we're really great collaborators. I mean, what he, his point of view that he'll bring to what I write or him getting stuck on something and me going, what about this? You know, we're really good collaborators and just really great team. And we had our own best secret weapon in the house. And I think we spent a lot of time trying to go out and find Something other else. opportunities when we should have just started making stuff together when we first got here. Right. And that was the... Yeah. We spent so much time chasing after it instead of just just start generating the work. 
just start writing the scripts, start making stuff, and you'll be okay. I love that. It took a long time to learn. All right. That's a great great note to end on. Congrats on everything. So fun talking to you guys and so inspiring. And uh, thanks for doing the podcast. All right. Thanks again to Diara and Miles. Go check out American Coco on ABC.com. You will enjoy yourself. Okay. So this happened... um, Last week, I did a podcast where I went to a For Your Consideration event for RuPaul's Drag Race, which I wasn't even sure why I was invited, but it was a, they're trying to get Emmy voters to vote. Um, And it's that season in LA where they're trying to get people to vote for Emmys or nominate them. And I was hanging out at a coffee bean down by LACMA, which is, you know, Miracle Mile area. And all of a sudden, there was just this crop of Handmaid Tales women in the red hoods and the whole red outfits with the little white, you know, thing popping out. And they were just in pairs sitting around kind of giving people the creeps and it's all to get awareness and try to get like votes. And so on the one hand it was kind of clever. And on the other hand, it was kind of gross, like all this wasted money and just people trying to get trophies. Like last, a few years ago, I remember seeing a bus for Bates hotel trying to get Vera Farmiga an Emmy nomination on a bus, an entire bus. And knowing that nobody inside that bus was an Emmy voter, but uh, would, would ever be on public transportation. But they have to deal with those buses. So they're in their eye lines. So let's, um, let's slap up an entire ad all, all over the whole bus for Vera Farmiga. And I like to imagine that on the morning of the nominations, she didn't get nominated and literally drove that bus right through the Beverly Hilton or wherever they are. Anyway, there's a lot going on here for the Emmys and it's kind of gross. But um, there were these handmaids just hanging out by the coffee bean and um, I did have to get a a photo. You know, I I did get a selfie with a couple of handmaids who were just like glowering. You know, and I'm just happy those girls needed a gig. I'm sure, you know... In this economy, you take whatever gig you can get. So I didn't begrudge the actual girls, but I can't wait till 10 years from now, one of them's like a big superstar on a talk show talking about how the weirdest job she ever had was pretending to be a creepy handmaid and hanging out at the coffee bean on Wilshire by LACMA. Anyway, that's it. Um, Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye. Bye.